if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Well, you're finding Isaiah chapter 6. I got a little story I have to tell. Um, there's Tanya. I wondered where Tanya was at. We went to a evangelism conference Friday night and Saturday. Me, Jennifer, uh, Scott, and Tanya all went. Jake went Friday night, too. Yesterday morning, the last speaker preached my message. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and he says Isaiah chapter 6, and there's probably a hundred different messages, or maybe a thousand different messages, that could be preached out of Isaiah chapter 6, but I just had this sinking feeling inside of me, and I just knew he was getting ready to preach my message. And I leaned over to Jennifer, and I, and I tell Jennifer, I whispered Jennifer, I said, he's getting ready to preach my message. I said, whoa, well, low and go, that's my point. He's getting ready to preach it. And sure enough, right after that, he says, my points are whoa, well, low and go. And Jennifer busts out laughing. And anyways, Tanya turns and looks at her, and she turns, and I know she's getting ready to, and I told Jennifer, I said, don't you say a word, because inside I'm panicking. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? This guy has just got up here and is preaching my message. What am I going to do? And anyways, so I calmed down and got over it, and, and uh, I did seek the Lord to see if I was wrong or something else he wanted me to do, but they was not. And uh, anyways, and for Scott and Tanya, the, the base of that guy's the body of his message is a lot different than mine. But we do have the same points from the same scripture. And uh, anyways, he did have a very neat illustration of a, of a cartridge uh, about, it, about God and us. And so if you, if you want to hear that illustration, ask Scott or Tanya or Jennifer or, or me afterwards, and, and we can share that with him. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 begins and says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, 
until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the house without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it is, excuse me, verse 13, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is uh, in them, when they cast their leaves. So the holy city, or excuse me, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning one more time, thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. And I just pray, Lord, that as we go forward in this service, Lord, that your will is done here, that your word continues to go forward. God, my prayer this morning is, is you know our hearts, you know our, our minds, you know what we're going through, you know what we're dealing with. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that you minister to each and every one that is here this morning. God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you'd say by your spirit, eyes to see what it is that you'd have us to see here in your word, and hearts, Lord, to do it, Lord, uh, to, to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. So, Lord, my prayer is, is that we would just get out of the way and let you be God of this service here this morning, that you would just do what only you can do, and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. And, Lord, my prayer is uh, not only that you administer the hearts and minds of each one that is here, but if there is any here that's undone, any that are lost, any that are not sure where they stand with you, any of just, just have doubts and, and, and not sure, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, that you'd shake them to the very foundation. God, that today would be the day that they would come to themselves. But today would be the day that their eyes would be opened. They'd see you, maybe for the first time. I pray, Lord, that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them and that you wouldn't give them any peace until they'd repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, I'm just praying, I'm asking, Lord, have your way here this morning in our midst and we'll give you all the glory for it. And Lord, one last thing, I need your help. I can't preach lest you give it to me. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So God, I'm asking, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say here this morning. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory because we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Can I make a statement that maybe it's a profound statement, I don't know. Uh, but I want to start this way. Nothing will change in a person's life. Maybe I should make that more personal. Nothing will change in your life until you see the Lord sitting upon a throne. That is the, the basis here of Isaiah's uh, of this, of this chapter in Isaiah, of this vision, Isaiah's vision. I'm here today to tell you that someone sits on the throne of your life, okay? Cut and dry, period. Somebody sits on the throne of your life. And it is either the Lord or it's not. It's either the Lord or it's someone else. 
it's either the Lord God, right, the, the, uh, our Lord and Savior, right, the creator of, of us and everything, or it's someone else. Maybe it's you. I, Isaiah received this vision while he was in the temple. But in his vision, the temple was transformed into the throne room of heaven itself. Okay, And in verse 1 also mentions that God is so great that his train, right? That's his, his robe, the tail of his robe, really the hem of his robe, filled the whole temple. You've got to understand the temple is the greatest, most um, magnificent building, largest building, not only that any of these people had ever seen, whether they could even dream of. And the statement is, is God is so big that just the hem of his garment more than fills the temple. Now, if you'll remember when I preached to you, it's been a little while back, but we, I started in Isaiah chapter 1, preached to you in Isaiah 1. The first five chapters of Isaiah is actually prophecies, right, for later in his ministry. Actually, so it's one of those, right? You've seen those movies before where you, you've got opening scenes and there's things that's happening and it grabs your attention, right? And, and you don't understand that everything that's going on and then after the first few minutes, there's a flashback and they go back and they give you the background, right, that has led up to that. It's exactly how the book of Isaiah is here. In the first five chapters, right? I mean, chapter one, right? We've got a, we've got a picture uh, uh, from the, towards the end of Isaiah's ministry, the uh, accumulation of everything, right? And we've got all these prophecies, right, in the, uh, of, from later in Isaiah's ministry in the first five chapters. And then in chapter six, we go back and we see Isaiah's calling. And as I'd mentioned... There is three points that I want to make here. Three words that comes from this. Three statements that are really very powerful when we understand. Woe, low, and go. Now, let's look at the first one. Woe. We find the word woe in verse 5. Then said I, right, so this is Isaiah, right, he's had the vision of God, right, he has been in the earthly tabernacle and has been uh, spiritually, right, in this vision has been translated to the heavenly tabernacle, to the heavenly, or uh, the earthly temple, to the heavenly temple, to God's very throne room. Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me say a couple things real quick. In verse 1, we start out with, in the year, of King, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died. And then in verse 5, he says, Whoa, I have seen the King. 
right? There's an, there's an intentional uh, correlation here between these two, right? The king of Israel, right? Actually, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, Uzziah, in the year that he's died. And then, right, it, it, during, in that year, uh, Isaiah is in the temple. God gives him this vision, and he sees the real king sitting on his throne, the king of kings and lord of lords. And his reaction is, woe of me. Woe. It's conviction. That's what is happening here, right? And, and here's the thing. Some, some people falsely assume, and I did for a long time too, we falsely assume that, our, that the first reaction of entering into the presence of God is some sort of a happy, gleeful, overcome by joy type reaction. But that isn't true. That is not true at all. The first reaction, go through all of the scripture, and you will see this over and over and over again. The first reaction is the overwhelming realization of our total lack of worthiness, our total lack of holiness, and the fear that comes from the realization of just how sinful we are in the presence of a holy God. That is the first reaction. That is the first reaction we see in all of Scripture from beginning to end. Since the fall of man. Let me put it that way. Isaiah here was so overwhelmed with this feeling that he actually thought he was going to die for appearing in the Lord's presence in his current, he uses the word undone, uh, meaning sinful condition. When he saw the Lord, it brought him under a great, godly, fearful conviction. Now, there's two things I want to say real quick about this conviction. First, conviction is necessary. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is necessary for repentance. A person cannot repent of their sins unless they have first been convicted of their sins. Right? That's just, I mean, that's just how it works, right? You're not, you're not going to repent unless you're first convicted. And no one sees the Lord without experiencing conviction of their sins, right? And conviction brings repentance. Repentance brings Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness bring, uh, leads to holiness. Holiness leads to the joy in the Christian life. The more you see the Lord, the more you're going to say, woe is me. The nearer you get to God, the more you realize your own sin, your own corruption, your own unworthiness. And the second thing about conviction is just born out of an encounter with a, with a true and just and holy God. Just as we see here in verse 1, uh, when uh, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. When man's eyes see the Lord, his heart will respond with conviction. Right? When you have a true, honest-to-goodness encounter with God, that is, you can't help it, you can't stop it. That is our response, is conviction. 
Conviction for our sin. Ain't nobody got to tell you that you sin. Ain't nobody got to tell you that you have fallen short of the glory of God. That you know this. Your heart knows this. And that is your instant reaction. And so one cannot see the Lord without being convicted of their own sins. And let me let you in on a little secret. The closer you get to God, the more aware you become of your own sin. Right, the more that the, the more the intensity of the light uh, is, the more that it brings to the surface, the more that is exposed. Right, the more the purifying. Right, the smaller the imperfections that that are seen and that come forward. Right, and the more you become aware of your sin and your need to be purged, to be cleansed of. And so Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and He was high and lifted up. This caused Isaiah to see things differently than how he had saw things before. Right? That's what a true encounter with God will do. It'll cause you to see things differently than how you had saw them before. And after seeing the Lord, everything he looked at, he saw through the lens of God's holiness and God's righteousness. And when that happens to us, we'll begin to see sin in a totally different light. All of a sudden, sin will become repulsive to us. It will become disgusting to us. We'll even be nauseated by it. And listen to me. If you can't relate with that at all, the problem might be is you might not have had your encounter with God. We must see sin the same way that God sees it. Listen to me. I didn't come here to preach on politics or anything like that, but I'll say this. The reason America is in such a degraded condition is that no one sees the holiness and the righteousness of God anymore. Our eyes have been so blinded by open sin. I'm talking about the open sin that's broadcast onto our televisions, into our living rooms every day, right? The open sin that is so readily available on the internet, right? Not only through your computer, but now through the very little handheld device you carry in your pocket, your phone, right? We are so blinded by the open sin that we're exposed to in our society that we will now accept almost anything in the sight of sin doesn't even bother us anymore that's where we're at this encounter that I'm talking about Isaiah had the very next thing that happened to Isaiah after seeing the Lord was that he saw himself as he truly was he saw himself as undone right as sinful and when a believer has a true experience with the Lord, it does not make them proud or boastful. Instead, it humbles them and breaks them. And they see themselves as they really are. Sinful. The second thing here is low. Right? It's in verse 7. And he laid it upon my mouth, talking about what the scripture calls a live coal, right? And, and so anyways, he says here, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin 
right? So the woe is conviction, the low is cleansing. The, the, the scripture calls it live coal. It's meaning a hot coal, one that is glowing red right out of the fire, right? So this hot coal was taken out of the altar of incense in heaven. And it is symbolic of, of God's purifying work, right? So the hot coal touching Isaiah's mouth, right? This is where the cleansing happens. The scripture tells us that. Uh, and so the hot coal touching Isaiah's mouth. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like, right? Your lips and, 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 and your tongue and your mouth, that's a very sensitive area, okay? And so this hot coal touching Isaiah's mouth, you can think about how painful that must be. It shows us that, re, that repentance is painful. And I want you to notice that there is a progression that takes place when one sees the Lord. First it was conviction of sin. And then it was the desire to be cleansed, right? And so notice also what took place after the coal of fire was laid upon his mouth. The sin was purged, meaning his iniquity was taken away. And the Lord, then the Lord spoke to him, right? The Lord spoke to him at this point after the cleansing. So let me just suggest something to you real quick before I move on to my final point. Could it be that many of God's children do not hear his voice or perhaps he does not hear their voice because they have not been to the altar and been been cleansed before approaching his throne. Now when I say been to the altar, I don't mean this wooden bench we got up here in, in, in the front of this church. I mean in the presence of God and humbled ourselves and knelt before him. I'm talking about a spiritual altar. Bible tells us, Isaiah tells us that God's ear has not gotten so heavy that he can't hear us. But it's our sin, our iniquity that's come between us and him. In this case here in Isaiah chapter 6, we have the low, the cleansing that has taken place. And then the last thing, my last point in verse 8 and 9, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, right, this is Isaiah, then Isaiah said, Isaiah's response, Here am I, send me. And he said, right, and then God said to Isaiah, God's response to Isaiah's response was, Go, go and tell his people, and then he gives the instructions. But his response is go. That's my third point. It's go. It's the calling, right? So woe is the conviction. Low is the cleansing. Go is the calling, right? Once conviction and cleansing have taken place, then and only then was Isaiah in a place where the Lord could use him. Can you imagine that? Only after the encounter with God, only after he's truly seen God and and, and had this encounter, which has brought conviction and then cleansing, only then is he in a place where God can use him. Listen to me. You're only going to hear God's voice once you've gotten yourself into the same position that Isaiah is in in our text here. 
a, a, a position of conviction of personal sin in a time of cleansing, right? By the coal of the fire from the altar it's talking about here. The word of God, in other words, uh, taken off of the altar of God. And then the calling comes. And there's two quick things I want you to notice about this calling. First of all, the calling was without condition, right? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's all Isaiah knew. When, when Isaiah responded and said, here am I, the only thing that Isaiah knew was what God had said, and it was, who, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So far, Isaiah knows nothing about what this call will entail. He knows nothing about where it will send him, and he doesn't, and nor does he know anything about what it will cost him. A call of this nature requires full surrender of the one being called. That's what we see a picture of here of Isaiah is fully surrendering to God. All Isaiah knows is that God is going to send him somewhere. Think about it for a minute. Think about the faith that is required to make a commitment like Isaiah has just made. He said, here am I, send me. Send him where? Isaiah doesn't know. And it does not appear to Isaiah. Look, for many of us, right, when somebody starts to ask you to do something or you know they're getting ready to ask you to do something or setting you up for that, look, you want to know where and, and what and what all is entailed. That's, a, that's our natural reaction. That is not Isaiah's reaction. The call was without condition. Isaiah just says, here am I, send me. Whatever it is, send me. And the other thing that I want you to notice about this call is that it was without promise. God, at this point, right? Now God tells him more about it afterwards after he accepts the call. But at this point here, there, there's, it's without condition and it's without promise. God promises nothing to Isaiah. All Isaiah knows is that God is going to send him somewhere for some special purpose. That's it. That's all he knows. So let me ask you the question. Could you answer the call of God in this manner? And let me say something else. If your answer to that is realistically, now deep down in your heart, if your answer is no, then you probably won't ever know what God's calling for you is. The cry and plea of every Christian should be, Lord, if there is some place that no one else will go, I will go for you. If there is a job you need done, I will do it. Did you realize that there are people of all ages sitting right here in this room right now? Right? Our littlest ones have went downstairs. If you want to count them, then from the very littlest all the way up to the most elderly, right? But looking under the sound of my voice right here, we've got, we've got people of all ages, right? I'm talking from, from teenage to 
to retirement. And do you realize what God is saying to you this morning? He's saying go. Now that go doesn't necessarily mean to a foreign mission field, although it may, but it could mean to go to some of those whom you put on your prayer list. That could be the calling. It could mean to go and be a blessing to someone. It could mean to go and get involved in the lives of some other people. I'll tell you what it means. It means to surrender to God in order to go and do whatever it is that God wants you to do. So my message to you this morning is woe, woe, and go. That's the order. That's the order that it always happens in. Without exception, it is always woe, woe, and go. It's always conviction, cleansing, and calling. So let me ask you, when's the last time you were convicted of your sins? When's the last time that you came to God with a repentant heart to be cleansed of your sins? When's the last time that you said to God, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Without condition, without promise. It doesn't matter, God. Whatever it is that you need, I'm your God. Here am I. Send me. Would you stand to your feet? Too often, we want to put conditions on serving God. Oh, God, I'll only go if it's a big church. Oh, God, I'll only go if there's a big youth group. Oh, God, I'll only go uh, to somewhere else if, if, if you make it comfortable for me. Right? I'll only go to a foreign field. You know, oh, God, we'll put conditions on it. Well, I'll only go talk to this person. Is if you open the door so wide for me, that, and it's so obvious, right, that I can't miss it, that I can't help but talk to them about you. We put conditions on it. When's the last time we just said, here am I. Send me. Send me. I'm your God. Send me. I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Just come on. Uh, Spirit of God dealing with you and dealing with your heart. Maybe he's burdened your heart with somebody. Maybe there's some things going on in your own life, right, that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with. Whatever it is, there's no shame in it whatsoever. Would you come this morning? Listen to me. If God is drawing you, if he's dealing with you, don't miss this opportunity. Don't put it off a moment longer. Would you come this morning? Maybe, maybe today is your day. Maybe you're the one who is undone. Maybe you've realized uh, for the first time uh, what a sinful condition that you're in. And it's time to come and get things right with God. Then I'm begging you, come this morning. Whatever it is, would you come? Would you come?